Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, April 25th, and we're talking consumer goods and exploring the supposed death of the retail industry. For today only, I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me in the studio all the way from sunny Florida is our Motley Fool contributor, Dan Klein. Hey, Sarah. We've been talking about doing this for over a we, year. so it's <laughs> We finally made it. But you have the B-list presenter today, so I'm really sorry about that. But Vince is on vacation. You know, it's funny. For our audience, I should probably point out that presenter means host. Host. <laughs> our, sorry. sorry. Normally, host. Vince is the host, and Sarah is sitting in yep. as the host today. Well, yeah, fantastic. Thank you for the clarification. Um, that we are not on a chat show. So, <laughs> uh, so I'll, drive, I'll dive straight into uh, what our topic for today is, is the supposed death of the retail industry. So retail spending as a whole, according to the Census Bureau, is up 5% year over year and up 17% in the last five years. Uh, but the conventional wisdom, as you describe it in one of your recent articles, is that the retail industry is kind of dead, it's dying. Um, and there's a lot of enthusiasm for that. And I'll play devil's advocate here for just a minute and kind of go into that. So on the surface, there's a lot of evidence that backs up that point. In the past year or two, we've had bankruptcies from Payless, The Limited, Wet Seal, Gander Mountain, Sports Authority, and recently we're seeing a lot of news about store closures. So Macy's is closing 100 stores, JCPenney over 100, Sears, 78 Kmart's, 26 Sears locations. And they've even admitted substantial doubt in their ability to keep the doors open. Um, it, it's one of those things where what you see isn't what's actually happening. So you you walk around the mall, and we were talking about this upstairs. The mall near me, the, the, the sort of like lower grade mall, about a third of it has become the fake edifices where they put a vending machine and a coming soon sign, mm-hmm. and there's nothing there. Because a lot of stores have gone out. You know, Radio Shack is one you, you didn't mention. They're, they've closed 1,000, 1,100, something like that, on their way to complete oblivion, their second bankruptcy. So you look and you go, oh my God, mall retailers are closing. My Macy's closed. The, the Macy's I could walk to from my mm-hmm. house literally closed. And it would seem, well, that makes sense. The narrative is the internet is killing physical retailers. Yeah, the Amazon effect, and as people call it. I believed it as well. And then I went to the Shop Talk conference. And, and I mentioned this because this research came from a, a gentleman named Casey Lawbaugh, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, at Deloitte. Yep. And what he pointed out, and he only showed one quarter's worth of data, and the the people who track retail data, National Retail Federation, others, they don't break out internet versus physical retailer sales. So this is a bit elusive. But what he said is that during the, the fourth quarter, the holiday season, the overall dollar growth of physical and online was about the same. It was $12 billion for each. In terms of physical retail, which is much bigger, that turned to bad. It was a 2 to 3% gain. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the online side, it was a 13 to 15% gain. Yep. And, but the reality is we're, what we're seeing is failing stores are closing. And there are plenty of chains that are taking their places. So if you look in the discount space, Dollar General is opening a thousand stores this year. They opened a thousand last year. Even chains that have a perception of struggling, like Target, are opening and adding. You know, so Target is going into markets that Walmart had actually decided to not go after, which is cities. And they're putting in twenty to thirty thousand square foot stores, about you know twenty percent the size of their regular stores. So you're seeing fragmentation and a shift in retail. Today there was a story that uh, Warby Parker, the eyeglasses people, who both both of us probably would, would do well mm-hmm. to visit, that they're opening more retail stores. So 
you're absolutely seeing the Amazon effect killing certain retailers, but it's also creating opportunity for other retailers. Absolutely. And I think the, the retailers that are being rewarded are the ones that are actually listening to their customer and understanding what their customer want. And as you quite rightly pointed out, um, retail as a whole is growing. Uh, e-commerce is growing at a faster rate, but e-commerce as a whole is growing. And I think Moody's estimates the discount uh, environment to grow at 7% this year. So obviously people are still going to the stores. It's not like we're going to be telling our grandchildren what a shop was like <laughs> and staying inside all the time. Um, but so why do you really think that uh, some of these stores have it right, and what do you think investors should be listening out for? Well, I, I think you know if you're Dollar General, you're competing on price. You're, you're basically going in and you're saying, "Yep, yeah, Amazon might be as cheap or even cheaper, but I have it now." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they they have hit the sweet spot when it comes to pricing. But a lot of the chains that are working are ones that offer an experience. So, you know, Best Buy has turned the corner. And part of the reason Best Buy succeeds when you know we just lost H.H. Gregg is when you walked into H.H. Gregg, it was a very 1980s retail experience. There were refrigerators over there, there were stereos here, there were computers. There was nothing joyous or interactive about the store. When you walk into a Best Buy now, there's you know you can go play with a Nintendo Switch, you can go sit in a chair and try out different audio systems. There's stores within a store, which is a concept J.C. Penney is using yeah, as as they. Really well. yeah. So, so as and I'm someone who we've talked. I have a background in retail. I ran a giant toy store for two years, and if you give people a reason to come in, and it could be as simple as there is a coffee shop in my bookstore, and people want coffee. Well, if they have to walk by all your merchandise on the way to the coffee, or on the way to play the Nintendo Switch, or on the way to to get a haircut at J.C. Penney, or take their pictures at Sears, mm-hmm. or wherever it happens to be. That's a chance to capture them as a customer. So retailers have to think smarter, and I think that's something that Macy's kind of missed out on, and Sears really missed out on. You know, you go to Sears now, and they're struggling, and it's still hard to find the merchandise you want. You know, they they have not made them, and I and I buy clothes at Sears sometimes. They have not made the shopping experience easy. When the alternative is, I can go to Amazon and say, I want pants, I want this size, I want this color, and in two days they show up, and if they don't fit, I'm supposed to return them, but I don't. So Amazon just gets another pair of pants sales from me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think, uh, you know, I was listening to a webinar that was done by the the same guy from Deloitte. And one of the things he was mentioning is the department store construct actually doesn't work well for a holistic, natural kind of shopping experience. So the example that he gave, um, which I'm kind of going to paraphrase, is that when you go to the luggage section, you may want to buy luggage for your vacation. And what would be great to have with this is uh, women's summer dresses and bikinis and flip-flops and all those kind of things. But because they're kind of territorial about the space allocation, that they're incapable of being flexible to provide what customers want. But but you are seeing more of that. So we talked about Target before. The new Target setup that they're they're starting to roll out. I think it's about a third of their stores this year is going to have one entrance for for grab and go. So you walk in, you want a snack, you want a drink. Uh, maybe they found that uh, I don't know toilet paper is is something people just want to buy and leave. You know they they need toilet paper. That's a terrible example. <laughs> and then the second e- entrance is going to be clothing and seasonal items and things people take more time to buy. So it's really as a retailer, you've got to align your store to your market. You know, it's it, it's very simple. If I walk into a liquor store, they figured out a long time ago to put the gin next to the tonic, yes. and that the olives should probably be somewhere close by. But when you walk into a Macy's, 
shoes and socks are not necessarily in the same place or pants and belts or, or, you know, and take it as you did to another level where you go to sort of these more esoteric connections and you need to see more dynamically changing stores where they're, they're seasonally really making moves to sort of captivate customers and you've got to just make shopping fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing is, um, you know, a lot, a lot of these retailers sell things that are so easily commoditized online. And like you said, if they don't have that experience element to the shopping experience, they're going to lose out. So if you take Home Depot, for example, their stock's up 10% this year, which is completely different to the rest of the retail environment. Um, and they offer something that you, you really can't replicate online. They have experts that are going to give DIYers advice. You can't really sell lumber or deliver lumber and you know paving slabs that easily. And I admit that that's very difficult to transfer to clothes and things like that. But it's a similar principle. You're getting a lot more of a value proposition. Well, th- there's also an immediacy. I mean, obviously, if you're going to buy you know drywall at, at, at Home Depot, you're either going to pay them a fortune to deliver it. It doesn't really matter if you come into the store or how you get it. But if your sink is broken and you need a, a plumbing piece, you don't want to wait for two days. And Amazon has some methods of dealing with that. They have a, a, a patent application on a truck that drives around that can 3D print parts yeah, like that. Wow. Yeah. But until things like that exist, a lot of the demand at a store like Home Depot is, hey, it's Saturday and I'm free and I'm going to build a, a fire pit outside. Uh, or, oh my god, my toilet doesn't flush anymore. <laughs> I have to go get the pieces yep. to, to do that. But you know, other retailers have to figure out how to make that happen. Do, do you buy clothes online? No, I don't. I don't buy clothes online because I would like to try clothes on and feel them and everything else before. Um, and m- what my husband believes is going to happen is that you almost have like a showroom where you go and you try the clothes on and then you order and they get delivered at home. I don't know if I buy into that because I very much like to feel the weight of what I've bought when I've bought it. Um, but that is another possibility. See, I do a mix. I, I will go to a Kohl's or a Macy's or something, and I'll buy a shirt. And if I like the shirt, I will then buy 10 more of the shirt online. I agree. Especially with women's sizing, you know, the, the a small doesn't mean things the way men's sizes are sort of more exact in terms of inches and, and length. So it can be a challenge. But I think the tools are eventually going to make it so you can virtually try things on. That's true. I wonder how much they're going to catch on. I know that there's a lot of tech disruption people are talking about. Um, VR, you know, you can you can look at a screen and it will try on the clothes for you without you actually having to go into a changing room. I don't know how much they're going to catch on and if that's really where the tech disruption is happening. I think the tech disruption is happening much more in time in terms of the granularity of information that you have over your consumers, social media campaigns, all those things that probably weren't available when these big stores were established. Um, but I really think that as you said, they, they can take lessons from these nimble startup companies um, that you know have entered the market with zero barriers and are really kind of cashing in on where the, the retailers are failing. And I think one of the things you're seeing with Walmart, which is another retailer that it's had its struggles, but it is quietly growing and, and adding stores, is the true integration of buy online, return in store. Because exactly, yeah. I, I buy from Amazon almost every day, and I, I joked earlier, but if I buy a shirt and it doesn't fit, the odds of me going through the trouble of returning it are very, very low. If all I had to do was walk down to the mall and drop it off at the Amazon kiosk, that would be a lot easier. So for now, Target, Walmart, even Costco is playing with this a little bit, have that advantage that you can buy something digitally, and when it doesn't work out, 
it's a lot easier to return it than having to figure out how to get UPS to pick up yeah. at your house. And that's really a small example of a bigger problem with this because omni-channel for a lot of the traditional retailer CEOs really means you have one channel that you you know essentially means that you have your store and you have your online presence. Whereas those things are two things are, are basically integrated. They're essentially the same thing. We are online all the time. I can be in a Target store and checking on Amazon to do a price comparison. And it's those kind of things that I think they need to stop looking at the you know five percent revenue is from mobile and ninety five percent is from in store. So all my focus needs to go in store and actually look at the two things as a integrated experience. And, and I think you know Mark Laurie from from Walmart who runs their digital operation talked about this. I think more chains need to bring in digital first people and empower them. Absolutely. He Be- came from jet.com yeah, through the he, acquisition. It, and you know, he created Quidzy, which was diapers.com and he he's look, he's been a serial success failure. He's <laughs> he's had companies that weren't making any money that scared Amazon. So so first Amazon bought Quidzy and then Walmart bought Jet, which was a company losing money on a billion dollars in sales. So he's a really interesting case. But when you inject him into this old line way of thinking at Walmart, he goes, Hey, wait a minute. We are not going to compete with Amazon by selling a prime knockoff. It isn't going to work. So let's just give it away. Yes. And you have to be willing, and this is a very tough thing for a retail CEO to deal with, you have to be willing to have some bad quarters. Because you're going to cut into your margins, you're going to, to to do a lot of negatives. But if you can capture a customer and have a good experience, you know, I bought some things online at Kohl's, and they they shower you with discounts and all sorts of other other ways to get you back. It was a pleasant experience, so I would absolutely buy from them again. Yep. And I think that's what more of your, you know, your Macy's and your your other chains, you know, might be too late for Sears. I'm not sure Shop <laughs> Your Way, which they talk about yep. being the future of the company, has any customers. Um, but you really need to kind of break everything and figure out. I have this asset, these physical stores. How do I keep my customer as a customer, whether they're coming into that store or not? And on that point about the physical stores and the the size, I'm interested to get your opinion in whether all of this space is still going to be saved. Because I I'm, I'm, have an interesting statistic. <laughs> the US has six times more uh, square feet per capita retail space than the UK. And obviously, some of that is the availability of space. But that is a huge amount of retail space. Can all of this be used? No, it's too much. Um, you know, And we, we, we talked a lot about this. There, there's, there's jokes often on The Simpsons about the sad mall. <laughs> but, but most communities have the sad mall, which it maybe has like the sea level Macy's or JC Penney is the anchor and it's the only mall that has like some local stores and you know maybe one of those places that sells $49 suits. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I think you're gonna start to see and, and actually we talked about this a little bit upstairs the new mall is gonna push out the old mall okay. and you're gonna see closures there's a demand for housing so you're gonna see a lot of conversions and we have too much retail space. There were a lot of articles this week about how difficult it's going to be to fill the 300 and something H.H. Gregg stores. There's only so many trampoline places that can go into a town or movie theaters. or And yes, yeah, some malls can be anchored by grocery stores. But no, we have too much space and, and there's going to be an absolute pullback in that area. So kind of the concluding thought on that basis then is that some are going to lose, but generally, if you can target your customer, if you can meet your customer where they're at, you can still make the most of the space that you have. Yeah, and I think you have to do what JCPenney is doing and look at your stores and maybe get rid of some of them, mm-hmm. um, you know, or change locations. Apple, uh, near where my mom lives in, in Salem, Massachusetts, was in the mall. 
And they've recently moved to an outdoor plaza because they found that if you're going to get your iMac repaired, it's a giant pain to walk a 27-inch computer or whatever it is through the mall, drop it off, then come back and pick it up. Whereas if they could locate in this lifestyle plaza, you can park right in front of the store, you can walk in, it's a much easier shopping experience. So I think stores and retailers need to examine on a store-by-store, location-by-location basis does this location make sense? Can I make better use of the space? Can I bring in vendors or partners or are there services? You know, if, if I'm a, a JCPenney, should I double down on salons and should I put in a massage studio? And, you know, should there be yoga at Barnes & Noble or who knows what <laughs> else? I've joked for years that Barnes & Noble should put in music lessons because mm-hmm. it would be a very logical tie-in to what they do and they already sell all the books. So you should be looking at diversification and capturing people and going beyond shopping. There's very little that you need that it isn't easier to get from Amazon. So if the experience isn't enjoyable and there isn't a nice cup of coffee or a frozen yogurt or something that's part of the experience, then you aren't going to leave your house. But I think you you said double down. That was the phrase you used on, on a concept. And I think that that is exactly right because the problem with department stores now is they've tried to be everything to everybody and not really been successful anywhere. So I think um, these companies need to know who their audience is, who their consumer is, and really facilitate what they want. Like Barnes & Noble, yoga classes, it sounds ridiculous, but if uh, Barnes & Noble's cafe has a lot of um, you know, stay-at-home mothers and, and young students that might be interested in doing things like that, then it's a great idea. Well, and you have, so if you're Barnes & Noble, you're locked into leases, very long-term leases in a lot of cases. And you used to stock music, (laughs) DVDs. Those things used to exist. (laughs) You don't need those anymore. And while they've brought in games and and some other sort of incidental retail, most Barnes & Noble's locations have big empty spaces. So what do you do with the space? You can make it a daycare. You could make it a yoga studio. You can make it music, you know, privacy mm-hmm. places. Whatever it is, figure out how to monetize that. And you know, retailers use a formula where they look at how many dollars is this square foot producing. Well, if it's just picnic tables where people can read your magazines for free, yep. it's not producing any dollars. So you know, there's a lot of low impact ways. Bring in an outside vendor. What's compatible to book sales? Maybe women's shoes are a <laughs> Super logical, you know, you find that there's a correlation. Maybe it's pet supplies. I, I don't know what the answer is, but do those studies and go to those vendors. Mm-hmm. If if you go to Walmart in certain markets, there's eyeglass places that are not Walmart. There's there's music and arts, which is a chain of of music retailers that specializes mostly in elementary school kids and lessons. Find the things that your customers want and bring them in. And even if it's just a break-even. They're going to shop at you more. You know, it's Costco worries about frequency of visits. The reason they essentially give away gas is because you're going to come to Costco more often. You're going to be more tied to them. You're going to renew your membership. Maybe you'll buy more stuff. And every store needs to think that way. Okay. So, final thought then, if if I'm a Macy's or a Sears investor, what would you advise me to listen out to in the <laughs> and in the earnings call? What would you want to see from management? Well, if you're a Sears investor, don't believe anything they're saying, <laughs> be, be it because. You know, it's a bit of a shell game. You can, can we, Vince and I have talked about this at least four or five times. If you have two billion dollars in assets and eight billion dollars in debt, you might be able to use your assets for a certain amount of time to forestall your debt. But if you haven't fundamentally changed your business, which they have not, 
then you're in real trouble. Macy's is a different story. Macy's is a profitable company that's not as profitable, that's struggling. And I would look at, are there really new ideas? Are, are they doing things differently? Are, are they you know, making bold changes? And you know, I'd like to see Macy's testing 10 concepts that sound seven of them sound crazy to see you know you know what they are maybe they're renting out birthday party clowns in one store <laughs> and they're you know and and they are putting in upscale cafes which i think some macy's actually have but you know find different things try different things and also realize that if you're macy's the negativity is partially because you're a publicly traded company, which is expected to grow, 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 grow. As a private company, which could happen, as we've, you know, there have been, been some interest in buying them, they're a stable business that just needs to, to pivot. They're, they're not a failing business the way Sears is. Okay. Well, uh, that's great. Thank you very much, Dan. Do you have any more final thoughts? I'm just happy to have done this. It's, uh, and you <laughs> got you got through it. Sarah I was did. very nervous as we headed into this. Well, I have big shoes to fill with Vince uh, usually <laughs> hosting this. So. Lots of jokes I could make about Vince's <laughs> shoes there, but we look forward to having him back. Uh, so, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say hello, shoot us an email at industryfocus at full.com or tweet us at, at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our content, subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows at fool.com forward slash podcast. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Dan Klein, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.